everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 4, issue 192. You can play along with us, Cane and Rinse volume 4. The next five issues of the podcast include the games Halo, Reach, Thomas Was Alone, Comic Zone on the Mega Drive or the Genesis, Threes, and concluding our Halo series, Halo 4. Head to canerince.com for the full schedule, the blog, links to our forum, Facebook page, and YouTube channel. Also, stop by our, uh, our boutique. You can support the podcast and pick up cool Cane and Rinse t-shirts and cool shoulder bags. Please also check out our video games music podcast, Sound of Play. And please review, rate, and as we always say, most importantly, do subscribe to both of our podcasts on iTunes. Even if you don't actually listen to every single one, downloads are helpful to us. Thank you. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Brian Tarran. Hello. Carl Moon. Ahoy there, fancy pants. And Ryan Herman Toothrot Heyman. I'm selling these fine leather jackets. Ah, You've preempted one of our three-word reviews there, and we can explain what that's all about later. Uh, so, The Secret of Monkey Island is a 25-year-old computer video game, so you may know what happens in it. Uh, but this is your spoiler warning, just in case, because we may spoil individual puzzles or individual scenes or individual jokes. And actually, if you've never played it, there are still lots of ways to play it on uh, modern systems. And if you've had a lot of the jokes and the puzzles and the scenes spoiled, you might not get so much out of it. So this is your warning. If you want to go off and finally play it, then please do and come back and listen to this later. By the way, you don't get to find out the secret of Monkey Island. So Lucasfilm Games, uh, by 1990, had already made uh, a string of pretty amazing games from their 8-bit works like Rescue on Fractalus and The Eidolon and Coronis Rift. They'd moved into uh, point-and-click graphic adventures where other companies, particularly in, in the UK, but also some American developers like Scott, Scott Adams were doing uh, graphic, uh, text adventures, sometimes with graphics. Uh, the likes of LucasArts and Sierra were doing these, uh, these full visual feasts that were... Uh, more around uh, puzzle solving and interactive stories than they were about uh, arcade skills. Um, I think Maniac Mansion was the first in 1987 and we'd had Zack McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders and Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade by the time Monkey Island came along. Um, now, I know that uh, from reading, uh, another, I'm recommending another book as I did on, on the recent Sensible Soccer uh, podcast uh, Rogue Leaders the the story of LucasArts is a, a terrific tome and um, details that particular developer and that amazing studio that was part of the Lucas Empire from the uh, early 80s right up until the late 90s it's uh, it's a, a lovely book well worth having a space on your shelf for and I learned from here that uh, Dave Grossman and Tim Schaefer uh, were new sort of um, graduates of the Scum University at LucasArts. So the the, the script, util- script creation utility for Maniac Mansion, which was the engine that they were building their games in, they were uh, giving to young developers within um, the studio to uh, to basically learn their craft. They were they would be dubbed Scumlets. Uh, so Tim Tim and uh, Dave were were known as Scumlets, and Ron Gilbert. Um, mainly wanted to do a a pirate game because he was not interested in doing either a space game, a sci-fi game, or a fantasy game with elves and dwarves. So he decided, based on his love of the Pirates of the Caribbean or Caribbean uh, ride at Disney, to base a game around that. And obviously anyone who's seen 
the first, particularly the first Pirates of the Caribbean film, will recognise a number of the scenes um, from therein. So let's talk a little about our histories with the game. Let's start. Uh, now, Ryan, you'd have been pretty young um, when this first came out. That's uh, right. This game came out in the year of my birth. So yes, I, I wasn't playing it concurrently. Um, no, the, the jokes might have gone slightly over your head, not to mention the control scheme and even loading the thing or, you know. My puzzle solving capabilities, I was still struggling with ideas like object permanence. And so, um, you know, figuring out the chicken with a pulley in the middle would have been a little bit over my head. <laughs> so when did you when did you come across Monkey Island? Was it um, after you played other uh, graphic adventures or point and clickers? or? Yeah, I believe so. I'm trying to just remember in my own mind the timeline of everything. I played a mm. lot of the humongous entertainment games growing up, which is what Ron Gilbert went on to create after he uh, left LucasArts. <laughs> right. And yeah. those are all um, essentially just point-and-click adventure games aimed at kids. And so, you know, the of course. Pajama Sam and the Putt-Putt and the Freddy Fish and all these uh, these great games, which you can now get on a nice bundle on Steam, and they actually hold up pretty well for what they are. I mean, they're aimed at kids and so they're a little bit easier than the point and click adventure games you might be used to if you're a point and click enthusiast but um so i grew up on those kind of not knowing that i would later revisit kind of the same minds behind those in uh in their previous iterations but uh i i got really into the telltale sam and max series and i'm uh, not yes. remembering whether i played monkey island before or after that but i remember that being kind of like a revelatory moment for me and like really propelled me into this world of point and click adventures and i i i played through those in college actually and so i probably picked up monkey island sometime around then originally on the ios when the special edition came out all right but okay. uh i've revisited it on pc which i think is a better experience anyways although you know it holds up surprisingly nicely on ios i was like yeah. having uh having something that i can just play around with in bed before i go to sleep recently did the same thing is with that a uh, banana in your pocket or are you pleased to see it <laughs> to steal a line from the game recently did the same thing with the phoenix Wright and the ghost trick games so um you know it's it's nice to have something to kind of plug away with and a point mm. and click adventure game something at a kind of slower just dip in for a little bit and play as much as you can and um a lack of peril out. right right it's kind of yeah. perfect for that so um played it on ios played it again on pc and then have recently gone back and just kind of watched a playthrough on youtube uh in preparation for the show so that I was fresh but you know it's not not necessarily the way that i'd recommend playing it because i think there is something to be gained out of getting lost and figuring out all the puzzles yourself but you don't lose as much in a point and click adventure game as you would in a first person shooter or something from just yeah. watching it. So it's not a not a bad experience at all. Yeah, I'd go along with that. Uh Carl, how about you? We know you're an Amiga man, but again, when uh this came out on the Amiga in ninety one, a year after the PC version. Yeah. Um but again you'd have been you'd have been fairly young at that stage. I was seven, but I was sort of well established into the point and click genre by the time. I mean uh, I was a big point and clicker uh, coming through the Amiga, and it, it's strange because people tend to associate me with sports games, which is fair enough. I've played football games all my youth, but also shooters. And at the t this was near a time when uh, coming into '94, Doom was coming out, and I always thought that that was the dumbest concept for a genre ever, <laughs> and how it was going to fail. Uh, and for me, point and click was the one that was always going to be around. And obviously, uh, I was a bit of a fool, but I was very heavily into the old point and clicks throughout the Amiga. I played Zach McCracken. Um, didn't complete it as you'd expect. Me neither. 
<laughs> it was hard, and I was seven. Uh, in, in 1991, I was seven years old, so um, uh, it was a little confusing. And I really liked Indiana Jones um, and the Last Crusade, but it was difficult. And it was a bit... It, it's strange, but it was a bit serious, or it felt a bit serious at that time. Um, and coming into 1990, we'd, we'd seen... Uh, screenshots and whatnot of Loom, and that looked really kind of pretty, but a bit too fantastical, and I wasn't so much into fantasy. And then Monkey Island was showcased in all the magazines, and I was like, I want to play that game. And it's a bit ridiculous for a you know a six-year-old to be pointing and shouting and demanding to play that point-and-click game. Um, but I absolutely adored it, and I, I, I you know I came into it and I played it with uh, my father at the time because. You know, as Ryan said, some of the puzzles could be uh, somewhat tricky. Um, and, and you know, I, I played it again when it came out in the remastered edition in 2009. And again, it was quite tricky. <laughs> so uh, I'm thinking back, six-year-old me must have found that ridiculously difficult, but a lot of fun. And, you know, being an Amiga gamer, it was certainly something that I played. And unlike unlike I mentioned in the Sensible Soccer game, this was something I did actually have legit, um, which was a good job, really, because you couldn't really play it without it. No, not unless you made yourself a photocopied dialer pirate wheel, as, uh, yeah. as some people did. Yeah, someone down the street actually had it. Um, two, I used to have a friend at the time uh, called James, and he lived sort of two houses down, two, three houses down from me. Um, and whilst he didn't play, play it, uh, his mother did. And there were times that she'd come knocking on our door and she'd be asking for my dad or, or me, do you know how to get past this puzzle and stuff? And we'd go around and she had all the sheets, sheets of paper of photocopied things oh, yeah. to be able to play it, the dial-a-pirate. Um, whereas, no, we we actually had the, the uh, legitimate dial-a-pirate wheel, uh, which is, I think, at least for me, is the first anti-piracy measure that I saw in a game. Um, and it, it, I always kind of liked it as well because it was sort of like a crazy game of guess who. Yeah, you could actually, of course, if you if you photocopied, if you took the dialogue pirate wheel apart and photocopied both yeah. wheels separately and then put them back together with a brass fastener and cut holes in exactly the right place. Uh, but no, I also had a legitimate copy because I was uh, I was 18 years old when it came out. But before my history, Brian, how about you? Uh, I I started with um, point and click games with the Day of the Tentacle. I got a PC uh, about the time that that came out. And so my brother and I played through that. Uh, we got Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. And we kept going with all the LucasArts games. We kept moving forward, but we never went back to uh, Monkey Island for some reason. And it was only, I think I went around a friend of mine uh, called Terry. He had a, he, he had a much more powerful PC than I, and he was playing, I think it was either Monkey Island 3 or 4. And it was at that point I thought, well, you know, I probably should go back and uh, give Monkey Island a go. Uh, so, yeah, so that was – I don't even remember what year. So it was either 97 or 2000. I know it was at, at the point where, um, you know, a con continuous internet connection wasn't, yeah. wasn't a thing because uh, I think – Terry lost his patience with me the amount of times I phoned him saying, Terry, how'd you get past this bit? And how'd you do that <laughs> bit? And Or just turning up on his doorstep, uh, uh, you know, unfortunate hours. Uh, so, yeah, though, I, I played it. Um, it must have been around at the turn of the uh, millennium. And then the second time I went through it was when the uh, Xbox 360 version came out, the special edition. 2009. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. need Terry anymore because then I had my wife. And I could say to her, how do you, you figure this out? And well, the, the hint internet, system but... built in. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember using the hint system. Um, and I don't remember um, using the internet because I was always worried about sp uh, spoiling puzzles that were, yeah. 
you know, a couple of puzzles ahead. Uh, but my mm. wife's quite good at these games, so she always figures it out for me. So, yeah, so we played it through pretty much together. So it's worth remembering, I think, uh, from a historical context point of view, that this game came out uh, first on the PC, um, DOS, I should say, in 1990, October. And, of course, this was at a point before, really, um, the the loveliness of VGA graphics were standard. And certainly a lot of people still had uh, home computers and office computers that were running either EGA or even CGA graphics. So... Um, you can still find plenty of screenshots of the original Secret of Monkey Island running in cyan, purple, black and white. Um, amazing stuff. And, of course, before sound cards were standard even as well. So you could actually have Michael Land's astonishing, iconic uh, yeah. reggae Calypso-infused soundtrack playing literally out of nothing more than your PC's internal beeping speaker that was uh, mainly designed to, I don't know, just alert you of things, I suppose. Um, but... Obviously, you could also play it on uh, 16 color. Was it EGA or uh, VGA? Was, two, was two, VGA 256 color? I seem to remember because the Amiga version was, um, I think, 32 color. So it existed somewhere between the uh, EGA and VGA versions in terms of uh, looks. Um, but uh, fair play to LucasArts. They got uh, they got the one and only Chris Hulesbeck to convert the music over from. Uh, he of uh, Rainbow Arts fame. Never heard point. of him. <laughs> no, we've we've mentioned him a few times on um, on Sound of Play, certainly. And the game eventually, over time, over the next uh, probably two or three years, uh, ended up found its way onto ST, CDTV, of course, uh, FM Towns, and the Mac, and even the Sega CD or Mega CD. There was a CD-ROM version in 1992 for the PC and obviously some of these CD console ports featured the same uh, kind of enhanced soundtrack and talkie track um, much of which was uh, or well I think they, they they re-recorded for the special edition but many of the cast were uh, were recalled um, or was it that actually that Dominic Armato made his debut in Curse of Monkey Island and therefore uh, reprised his role in the special edition. I'm not entirely sure. The game was um, feeling deeply envious of the PC version for the best part of, I think it was nine months. It, it, it was roughly maybe eight or nine months between the PC version uh, and the Amiga version. But as soon as the Amiga version come out, came out, I uh, trotted into town, bought it in its big box with four floppy disks, and my original dialer pirate code wheel and uh, took it home, played it, got stuck several times. We'll talk about that. Um, so it wasn't a case of just bashing through it. Uh, it's a game that you can finish in uh, probably under three hours, but it's a game which was uh, cited for its sort of quite you know lengthy runtime, but that was a lot to do with wandering around lost, getting stuck, um, interacting with everything you possibly could, checking out all the side scenes. You can actually, if you do speed run it, there's an achievement for this on the special edition, um, you will miss a huge percentage of the of the, the joyous content. Um, but yes, I'd already played uh, Zach McCracken, as with Carl, hadn't finished it, even though I was considerably older than he was. It was very confusing and obscure, yeah. that one. Um, much kind of more uh, overtly zany uh, than Monkey Island. Um, and I had also played uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which I really, really loved. Um, having sort of uh, graduated off of um, text adventures uh, of people like Level 9 and Infocom in the 80s. Uh, but yes, it was it was pretty much um, it was pretty much everything I wanted from the game. Uh, and I think, honestly, uh, talking about the scenario, the pirates 
thing. Obviously, it bears absolutely no relation to real piracy of the age uh, any more no. than the the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney does. It's based on the kind of cinematic theme of pirates, but also, and I think this is the thing which endears it to so many people, is um, a real warm, gentle kind of humour. But for me, where where maybe something like Zach McCracken does and some of uh, Ron Gilbert's, um, or maybe, no, maybe more some of, yeah, maybe some of the creative team's more recent endeavours, it doesn't tip into kind of uh, cringy, zaniness it's yeah it's got a it's got a wit to it that reminds me of um things like you know the best saturday night live with steve martin and um even the marx brothers and things like that yeah i mean for it, for anyone who's played sort of uh the likes of death spank and and the cave and whatnot that have come in recent years they can get a bit obscure at times and a bit um a bit strange with its humor uh that that never felt like that was the case with with Monkey Island, um, I've always described it as feeling it, it's quite pure. There's a purity to it, uh, whether it was a, the fact that it was a small development team that that were happy with this piracy theme and and this this humour, and the fact that I think there was only around roughly a team of five people worked on it. So if they came up with an idea, it was they'd simply implement it and show it. And these this was in the day where again something we mentioned similar on the Sensible uh, Soccer Show where you could knock it up in the engine, show everyone by the end of the day and, you know, by tomorrow it, it, that was a fully feature of the thing. There was no running it by sponsors, publishers. Um, so things evidently didn't get diluted or changed or, you know, Chinese whispers kind of thing where everything you know, ends up different to how that one designer wanted it. And as a result, it it has a consistency with its humour that, that I always kind of appreciated that, um, certainly in the the latter point and clickers that we've seen um, by by members of this fabled team were somewhat wacky and a bit too out there for me. Um, that that just it no longer clicked with me in a genre that I adored be- because of the humour and the way it was written in titles like this. There was a right? certain consistency to the world as well. Um, oh, absolutely. In I, I don't mean to you know speak down upon later point and click adventure games that that pertain to a more like a saturday morning cartoon type of of logic like the salmon max games which i i like a lot um just for their sheer wackiness and unpredictability but monkey island has something in it there the world feels consistent even though it does break its own rules but it breaks its own rules in a consistent way you know there's a grog machine like a like a soda machine in this mm. otherwise um you know pre-industrial world um and of course quite yeah. famously there are some very uh i guess um plot hinging reality breaking bits in monkey 2 but you know we'll, we'll get to that at a later date i'm sure but um it it all feels like it feels like a serious game could have taken place in this same world and <laughs> the world wouldn't have to bend over backwards to accommodate it like it's just that there are funny characters in this otherwise mostly serious world that make this funny. And I think you hit on that. It's the, it's the characters, isn't it? It's, uh, they're not vessels for jokes. They are, I think, fully rounded characters. The surprising thing for me is that having only ever played uh, Monkey Island 1 and 2, um, I don't... I, 
I'm I'm pretty sure I, when I played the the special edition, I, I I played it in the old version. I looked at the new graphics and the sound and everything and decided against it. But the characters for me, the way they're written, they are you can you can hear their voices and and they they were so they were so well created that they they stand out as real as real things in 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 my mind still now having only played it through twice but i think that's what makes this such a strong and such a memorable game is the way yeah. that was crafted and i think it's unusual that so many uh, quotable lines are remembered mm. from a game that actually had no speech. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's what I can't quite my, my mind can't quite wrap around the fact that you know all the funny quips they they felt they felt like they were told to me or the, rather than that yeah. I read yeah. them and it's that's I think that's the genius of this game. Like with a good uh, book or a book with uh, well drawn characters, you're making the voices in your head, and I think that's why I I initially found when I first played the Curse of Monkey Island, which we're not covering in this uh, podcast, um, a bit jarring because the voices weren't those that I'd imagined. It was very much like seeing a film adaptation or a cartoon mm. adaptation of a book that you loved, and going, "Hang on, that's not my Guybrush or my Stan yeah. the Salesman or whatever." Yeah. And I still have that to a certain extent when I play the special edition now with with the new graphics and the voices on I actually think you know they're quite well done on the whole by and large they I think they're strong performances and 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 they sort of fit but in another way I still like to flick back to the original graphics because of their own charm that, that pixel art style yeah. and also because it means that I can go back to having the voices in my head that I had back in 1990 even I think one of the things that, that still strikes me as being interesting is a lot of the gags were timing based and you could actually ruin all the jokes by speeding up the text of a lot of the jokes by using the speed up text delivery mechanism. Because the period lot, key, which, yeah. which is what it actually was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, you can still do it on the on the special edition, speed up the text. And obviously it makes that, you know, it means you can rattle through the game that much faster. But so many of the gags were delivered by, you know, that, so that all important comedy beat or three beats before the punchline is delivered and you know that text in that incredibly familiar whatever color the character speaking in LucasArts font from from the era so many times the laugh was drawn by the pause that if you if you have the text coming up yeah. boom, 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 and then the beats kind of halved or quartered um the joke is is less effective the thing that makes monkey island so unusual is that it's absolutely not paced like a comedy you know, it's not this rapid fire delivery. And, and a lot of that has to do with the uh, the point and click puzzle structure of the game, creating sometimes month long gaps yeah. in between plot points. But uh, yeah, it's and it, it goes back to that tension in between telling a story and the user's interactivity. And um, it, it's neat that that they were able to create a game that was still funny, even played at such like a slow pace from time to time and yeah. um and I, I think the world that they built kind of reflects this more relaxed pace as well you're at a melee island and you're exploring it at night and it's just kind of this calm and serene scene with just uh, especially the uh, scene of the camera pulled back up over the island as you're exploring various points in the island and there's just little little dots of light where there's towns and it's just this uh real calm and serene scene and both games or i guess both of the uh, first two monkey island games are um they start out at night and in kind of quieter situations which is not usually what you'd expect from a comedy which usually likes to kind of grab you with something big and brash right off the bat i think the 
The art is so important. Steve Purcell's the main artist on the game. He was a comic book artist before he went to LucasArts, and since then he's worked on a lot of uh, Pixar stuff, which I think is where he where he resides now. He's even worked on recent things like the uh, the the most recent Toy Story spinoff um, that you've probably seen advertised. Um, he even does voices and stuff like that. He's the one I believe he drew the cover art, the amazing cover art for the original box, as well as the actual in-game art. But it was the colouring as well as much as anything in in the first game because those particularly on the Amiga, you know, the graphics were lower resolution than the PC version and the colours were more limited than the VGA version. But those blues and that rippling water and and all that, even though it was, again, it was a comedy game, it was a silly game that had no real basis in uh, any sort of actual history. It was full of non-secretors and anachronisms. And yet I completely, as Ryan said, believed in that place full of these ludicrous characters all out of time making modern references and whatever but the place itself um the sound of creaking wood and uh shivering timbers and all that sort of thing was just completely uh bewitching to me and and still when i when i load up the game today it, i still get it now i don't know if somebody coming to this game for the first time in 2015 would get that same thing maybe they'd get it from the from the special edition maybe they'd look at the the original graphics and kind of balk at them a little bit. But again, back in context of 1990, I was so sold on this world, even though I knew it was fundamentally absurd. I mean, I absolutely adored the the world, the art design of Monkey Island. And it, it has a lot of fond memories for me. It's certainly the, it's probably not, but it's certainly the first game I ever remember laughing at. And I can say right now, it's the game I've laughed the most at in my entire gaming life. Um, which is pretty incredible 25 years later, and we've had a lot of games that try to be funny, but this game had a lot of confidence. Um, and we meant in its writing, and we mentioned that, you know, the, there could be huge long pauses between it. Now, I know that Leon will be in the same boat as me where that was the case because you couldn't just you'd look on the internet, how do you solve this puzzle? Um, a lot of it was word of mouth, or you'd have to wait a month, two months for it to be in a magazine to see that little bit of a, a, a solution to how you play it. And you were playing these games for a long time because a lot of the clues were quite tenuous. But as of that time, that that was just, you know, classed as quote-unquote gameplay. Um, you know, finding tiny little objects to click on in the distance, but still I was completely won over by the 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 whole look of that game and and the color cell technology that it used i just thought it used it absolutely masterfully and it, it's the artists of that time were really skilled to be getting the looks uh for these games that they were and monkey island is you know the, there's so many areas in that game that you can show people of that era that they'll instantly recall oh that's the secret of monkey island that's that's that place that's this place and going through it again in the remaster that was kind of wonderful because um, whilst they're not in, they're not entirely reimagined, they are modern day representations of those looks, and it, it, a lot like with the Halo games, it's nice to look back and forth between the, the current mm. and past views. Uh, but you know, you mentioned the art team there, Leon, and and you have uh, Gary Winnick as well, who was the mm. art supervisor on that game, and he he overlooked, uh, you know, he was an artist on Zack McCracken, and he was an artist on Loom, and and star wars and obviously monkey island one and two and of course he's coming back with ron gil uh yeah ron gilbert to work on thimbleweed park yes uh which you know, i'm incredibly excited about because it's going back to that traditional art style and be- because it's ron gilbert ryan you came to it more recently um and brian you came to it after 
uh, after other games in the series, which he presumed, or other games in the canon, yeah. should I say, with which uh, featured, you know, enhanced graphics drawn in more colours with more pixels and so on. Um, how did you feel playing Monkey, uh, The Secret of Monkey Island for the first time back in the late 90s? Um, yeah, the first time I played it was on the uh, special edition version, which, um, you know, so it, it did look a little bit more modern than if I had played the uh, um, the older version fresh off the boat, but uh, it did allow a really nice feature where you can swap between the two graphical Segway. styles, kind of yeah. like the uh, Master Chief collection uh, allows. And um, something about the the older graphical style, like it feels kind of magical. Like it feels mm. like they really did something that they weren't supposed to be doing. Like they they broke the system somehow. You know, there's some some sort of like technical wizardry there's is it's almost as impressive like a programming feat as it is a an artistic feat and the fact that it's a little bit more obscure and leaves a little bit more to the imagination i mean the new graphical Mm. styles apart from certain haircuts are lovely (laughs) and i don't mean (laughs) to you know talk down on them at all but the the older version feels like a real accomplishment and I, i think it still holds up incredibly well especially now that um, you know, blocky games are not necessarily looked down upon with the no. Minecrafts and and all of these kind of retro throwback type games today. Uh, I, yeah, I still think it's a, a beautiful game, and just the amount of of detail that went into these these kind of hand painted sprites back in the mm. old day is is still impressive. Right. Yeah, I think for for me there wasn't. Um, I think I, there was like a, a level of acceptance, even though I was coming, I was going back to it. And yeah. as you say, there were newer games that looked good. I mean, if my my first memories of point-and-click games were Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, which was more mm. in the Monkey Island style, I think in terms of yeah. the, the kind of the, 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 the level of detail. And then you had Day of the Tentacle, which was much more of a Saturday morning cartoon type of feel to it, the way the characters were animated and the, the proportions of things and, and everything like that. But, I, you know, flicking between the two on the special edition, I I. I, I I played the I played the game in the old style of graphics because I just right. the, there was something about that that evoked obviously the first time playing it through again and re- revisiting that. But I think they did such a good job. I think Ryan mentioned it earlier. You know when you're up on the um, up on the cliffs and you got the twinkling of pixels signifying the sort of different sort of hubs of civilization around the mm. island that sort of thing. The way uh, stare the salesman's arms flap around. Um, mm. the way they're animated there was just something there was something very evocative about it but also something i think timeless i mean it's it there's a there's a quality to it that it yeah it does look it does look dated in a sense but it mm. it, it, it does such a good job of creating a world and creating a place that it really you know the rough edges don't don't matter yeah they really you don't. can see the progression uh, it's interesting that thimbleweed park's kind of going to be harking back to maniac mansion which was uh, three years before monkey island and you can see a progression through lucasarts point and click graphics um even though you know they vary in style with sam and max and full throttle and things all looking you know quite different to one another yeah. but you look at the the uh, last crusade and monkey island graphics and they look like that era which is post the zap mccracken and maniac mansion era but before the Monkey Island 2 and Indy and the Fate of Atlantis era, which is where you can start to see that actually every hand drop was 
basically hand-drawn, hand-painted and digitised into the game. At this point, they still look like computer graphics rather than paintings scanned into a computer. Um, and I'm not saying that was you know, worse in any way because uh, those games, I think, look beautiful as well. But it was uh, these were very much of their, uh, of their day and uh, I think they looked like, they looked like a kind of um, progression from simple blocky kind of characters uh, to something that was getting ever closer to kind of cartoons. And it, you know, it only took until 1997 before we had the Curse of Monkey Island, which has barely aged a day because it looks like a, it looks mm. like a cartoon, basically. Mm. Um, it's interesting. And still does. It is interesting you mentioned Maniac Mansion, though, because I went, there was a, a way you could play that through Day of the Tentacle. That's right. Correctly. Yeah, the whole game, yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, and I did try that. And, and that was just, there was something about that, you know, going back that bit further that, that didn't really work for me. I, there was a lack of... They, they didn't have the same personality and character that they could get get through the sure. art style that they did with Monkey Island. So I think Monkey Island was essentially the point where you know you could create a believable world and you could create a, an approximation of reality that was that was good enough and that was rich it's, enough. I think. Yeah, and it's also it's not just the static graphics; it's also the animation. There's mm. loads and loads of incidental animation in Monkey Island that goes a long way. You mentioned Stan's famous waggling arms with while his torso remains completely yep. stationary. Yeah. But I'm also thinking about the animation when the troll uh, George Lucas throws the fish up in the air and swallows it down. There's all these really lush pieces. Sort of a lot of it's one-off stuff as well because it's you know you solved a puzzle, so now you get rewarded with this bit of animation. And there's some of the animation which I think you know now looks quite shonky there there aren't many frames of animation when Guybrush gets kind of shot out of a cannon or anything like that but it's but it's all enough to tell the story whereas I think um the previous generation of scum titles uh they 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 were you know it was pretty simplistic stuff yeah I read a an interview with uh, Ron Gilbert and he was talking about how you've got all these uh special case animations which is what they were called um where they were essentially the one-off animations that you'd see right uh, and, and because the sprites took up space and everything was at a premium and they had no more than five floppy disks, that was their limit. They couldn't <laughs> go and match. They couldn't match that the Sierra games. <laughs> yeah, the Sierra games were putting out eight and ten at the time, and it, yeah. it, and as a result, the sort of it was a you know yes, we'll keep that one. No, we've got to pass on that. And it was purely for a, a space thing. So right. it's incredible that we got what we did with that five disk limitation, which. It's pretty incredible when you think of what is in there across yeah. five floppy disks. Well, Amiga, because... Amiga Monkey Island came on four. Um, the fifth yeah. disk would have been your uh, your save your save game disk. Yeah, the um, one make save file. But but even um, then, um, even playing it then, I think I got my first external disk drive in 1990, so it it made things a lot easier. But of course, they soon busted that limit with 11 and 13, and yeah. and uh, with with Fate of Atlantis and Monkey Island too. Um, and uh, and in, unless you had a hard drive by that point, or at least sort of three or four chained floppies, it was just a nightmare. <laughs> it was I mean, just that, that's it. You, you had to match the other publishers of the era, which was obviously yeah. Sierra with the likes, of, uh, and you had games like Loom and whatnot, which were just on a phenomenal amount of discs. Um, so yeah, obviously they they had to grow with it, but that that was their publisher stipulation. Was no Loom, more than five. I think Loom was on a lot. I never actually had Loom, but I thought that was because that was about the same time as Monkey Island. I thought that was nineteen ninety. It was a yeah, it was yeah. the same year um, or a year earlier if you if you count in the Amiga version. Yeah, um, but yes, obviously we got on to uh, Beneath the Steel Sky and stuff from Revolution, which uh, yes. which came on huge boxes of he mm. heavy boxes of floppies. Um, of course, another thing that sold the world that we should talk about before we start to talk about the actual mechanics. Um, 
and you know we've we've already featured some music from the game and some uh, an absolutely amazing remix of um, LeChuck's tune that Ryan shared with on on uh, recent Sound of Play number twenty one or twenty two is it? Um, but Michael Land and uh, Patrick Mundy's musical score uh, just. I mean, I, I don't really know what you can say because I think most people who have ever played video games will know at least the theme tune. <laughs> um, and, you know, not everyone may enjoy it, but to me it's it's pure magic as soon as that. I don't think I immediately, you know, like I don't remember the first time I listened to that music thinking, oh, my God, this is one of my favourite tunes ever because yeah. back at that point, you know, when you – a lot of the time when you were thinking of like what made great game music, you were still worried about how technically good it sounded, how, you know, how, how many channels it had, how much bass it had, how much it sounded like real guitars and all that sort of thing. Whereas this tune at the start of Monkey Island was pleasant enough, but it seemed quite innocuous. But over the years, I've kind of just more more and more appreciated what a genius composition it is. And there've been umpteen different versions of it using different instruments. There's one on the Curse of Monkey Island, which fleshes things out a lot. There's the one on the special edition which uh, gives the lead over to a recorder or flute I can't remember but lots of different versions lots of different mixes and it always just uh, yeah it's just a proper magical opening to a game for me and so much of the incidental music as well Uh, LeChuck's theme and um, the music in the circus and uh, oh well all of it really just again a lot of it's very very short pieces I mean the I've had the the earworm that is the scum bar theme going around in my head for days now. <laughs> and it is literally, I think it's eight bars long, maybe 16 bars. Yeah. It's really short. And um, and because when you're stuck in that place and you're just talking to the so there's sort of seven or eight different characters in there you can talk to uh, at length. So you're just in yeah. there hearing this bit over and over again and it just gets drums into your brain. And it, it perhaps is a little bit annoying, but now when you hear it, it's like, oh. <sighs> It's a game with a composition so strong that it almost sounds beautiful on a PC bleeper, and that's about the (laughs) best credit I can give it. Yeah. The bleeper version is probably not the way you want to enjoy, but it's no. in, you can, uh, I think people have recorded those versions onto YouTube. So because, you know, YouTube people, gamers will do everything. Mm-hmm. If you want to go and hear those tunes through a, a or a, an emulated internal PC speaker, you can go and do that. But uh, I recommend at least the, uh, the sort of sound blaster or whatever versions it was. Um, and yeah, again, on the special edition, when you segue between the graphics, it also segues back to the... Um, the sound of, of what, what what it would have sounded like on a PC back in, yeah, in 1990. Because the, the big difference is um, essentially the original is built up of bleeps and bloops on a digitizer and the, the remaster was done with a, the ability to acquire genuine uh, musical artists to Actual come in and play instruments. instruments. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. Uh, so there is a big difference. That's wonderful for it. I, 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 I would say that it's it was clearly done with a genuine care on the remaster, which I don't always think's the case. Yeah. With with remasterings. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna name any games in, in in that case. But with this, the remaster team clearly cared about matching what was there in the original. So if if you're only interested in playing the remaster, then the music is still very, very good. And thankfully these got made these these special editions just before LucasArts pretty much got closed down for yeah. good. Um so it was although it wasn't the original people working on it as such although they did manage to get uh they did manage to get a, d- a developer commentary in which is fantastic um pretty much these were you know these were the last knockings for lucasarts as it 
as it was. I mean, even then it, in 2009, it wasn't what it was in the, the 80s and 90s. But uh, The fate of the point and click, really, isn't it? It's the, yeah. the, the market was no longer there to get it because LucasArts was such a powerful force coming through the late 80s and 90s, the likes of, you know, Zach McCracken, Simon Max, uh, Full Throttle, the Monkey Island games, the Indiana Jones games. It, they really were putting out some high-quality point and click titles and then sort of... Uh, with the PlayStation generation, the point and click slowly faded away. Um, and again, certainly struggled for sales. I, I know this isn't entirely pertinent or relevant, but I really want to stress that to those of us who are that bit older, LucasArts were already completely legendary for, yeah. particularly for their three games Rescue on Fractalus, Coronis Rift, or Coronis Rift, and uh, Ball Blazer, which all came out in sort of 83 to 85. And the things that that studio was doing on 8 bit computers were basically impossible. <laughs> yeah, fractal, you know, full 3D fractal generated landscapes. You look at it now and the frame rate's slow, obviously, and it's quite jaggy, hence Rescue on Fractus was originally called Behind Jaggy Lines. Um, but uh, they were, yeah, they it was an extraordinarily innovative and creative studio, more so at that point than the film arm of LucasArts, I would say. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they, that sort of carried on. Um, back to the music, Brian, um, I know you're somebody who you, you're a bit like our James in that you don't necessarily always sort of have strong feelings <laughs> about audio. But is is that any different with Monkey Island? No, I mean, I, I do love the music to Monkey Island. It's been a while since I played it, so I wouldn't be able to pick out any sort of f- for favorite tracks. But, um, you know, the the, 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 the the way it works with the graphics and everything, it's just it's a, it's a superb um, way of, of building a sense of place. And a sense of time and things like that. It's uh, yeah, it's really it's it's a it's a great a great soundtrack. But I, as I say, I can't pick out anything. That's right. Any specific? I can hum it rather than sing it. But. There is there is a there, there aren't any lyrical tunes in in the first game at least. But uh, Ryan, we know you love your music and and uh, we you you obviously love the Monkey Island music. But um, tell us tell us uh, what it is about it and any particular pieces. Well, that's the thing is like you were talking about earlier, like these aren't the most technically proficient compositions that have ever been created. They're not even like I I, I know the uh, LeChuck theme and then the, the famous theme from Monkey Island very well. And I can, you know, play them back in my own mind. But if I'm being completely honest with myself, like I don't think that they're even like the best, you know, video game songs or the the most earwormy type tunes, but they're just so they fit so nicely with the world and they play so um, they just like coordinate so perfectly with the game that like they, they wouldn't exist if it weren't for the game that they were supporting. Like they, um, they are a part of this experience. And the reason that I like going back and listening to it so much is that they bring back these memories and they bring back these characters and it's an inseparable part of that experience. Kind of like a, um, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride that they, that it was based on, like everything about that works because it's all 100% on board and every aspect of the, of the ride and every aspect of Monkey Island, the game supports every other aspect. They're all, they're all in it together and nobody's trying to outshine anyone else. And I know that's kind of silly because these are not, um, you know, these are aspects of the, art that goes into the game but it it just feels like such a cooperative and collaborative experience onto the mechanics i think the 
the thing that strikes me now is that um, the earlier LucasArts or Lucasfilm games, as they were, this I think this was the game where they trans uh, they transfer because I think the title screen says Lucasfilm Games, but it was distributed or published by LucasArts. I think this is the time that they changed that. Um, the the uh, interface for the earlier games had I think it was twelve. Um, uh, verb sort of uh, options in terms of interaction and this was the start of them kind of st- stripping that down I think we were down to nine for Monkey Island is that right or was it nine yeah yeah um, a three by three grid and they'd already you know whereas before you'd had separate ones for kind of push and pull or open and whatever uh, this one had, this one had streamed things down even further and it, even though that was 25 years ago that was the, uh, the, it's kind of where we've ended up now when you play point and clickers now, uh, the recent breed, things like Broken Age by Tim Schafer, who obviously was one of the three writers in this game, that kind of has distilled the point and click interface right down to one kind of interface. So, you know, it's one, it's basically context sensitive and left click does one thing and right click does another. And they sort of tried to bring that into the Monkey Island Special Edition, but in some ways I think the the original interface actually works just as well. Um, but that's one thing that you do have to remember about point-and-click puzzles back in uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, was that as well as you know, pe- what people talk about now is famously, you know, combine every silly item with every other silly item in, in the hopes of, fight, rant, you know, chancing upon the solution. And there is, there is a lot of truth to that. There was a lot of doing that in certain cases, um, mm. particularly in the middle section of Monkey Island, I would say. Um, but... It was also the horror of trying every combination of interaction with every item in your inventory <laughs> and every item on every screen that you could interact with. Um, and that was the reality of playing this game. And that was why um, if you were stuck on a puzzle, you know, the playtime of this game could be extended out to 10, 15, 20, 25 hours plus because you're just trying everything and then you think you've tried everything but you've forgotten to try and what one particular combination of of verb and noun and whatever and then you look you eventually look it up in a, in a book that's been given away with a magazine or 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 something like that and you go but I tried that and you're like no you didn't try it exactly the same the exactly the right point on the screen or or that sort of thing and there were a mm. few as well as all the you know the simple item plus item equals solution puzzles. This game also has um, a few of the sort of timing-based puzzles where it's actually you have to be aware of what's going on on screen, such as uh, diving in the back room of the the scum bar when the chef's out and uh, flipping the gull up in the air from the loose plank and things like that. Um, but overall, it's it's hard for me now, having completed this game multiple times over, over a quarter of a century, to know exactly where i got stuck but i remember getting stuck hard and often back in 1990 i mean the the one that i i remember because it's it's one of those legendary puzzles now was the one where you're trapped underwater oh, i love that <laughs> puzzle. And yeah and around you you see like the cleaver the scissors a sword there's about and, there's about uh, 25 and axe, items yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're clicking around and you, I, I just can't happening. reach it i yeah. just can't reach it and and you and you're trying all the items and Yes. What do I do? What? And then you just realise that you actually just pick up the yes. idol that, that you've dropped in the water and walk over the ladder with it and then climb it. Great um, lateral thinking yeah. uh, puzzle. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember solving that one 
straight away. Not I'm not showing off. I was 18 years old. You know, you were seven or whatever. So it's fair <laughs> enough if it took you a few minutes longer. Um, but I remember thinking, even though I got it straight away, I was thinking that's yeah. a clever puzzle. All these all these uh, figurative red herrings buried in the ground around you, and all you have to do is pick up the uh, pick up the thing that's holding you in the water great stuff that is of course famously the only point in the entire of monkey island where you can die this was a game where uh, and this was advertised on the back of the box uh, or or in the manual at least this was a game where you couldn't die unlike many of its rivals and it seems quite a common thing now but adventures then used to just end suddenly graphic adventures and text adventures it'd be like you went north there's a massive monster here you've been eaten yeah press y start again. yeah start again basically and and so this game um, the philosophy was, and it said, I remember distinctly said in the manual, you know, the philosophy is we want you to explore and have fun, not to worry about going in the wrong room at the wrong time and, you know, being burned alive. There's another nod to this later in the game where you fall off the edge of a cliff and uh, a, a continue yes, no thing comes up on the middle of the screen. And then Guybrush reappears, boing, and he says rubber tree. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, lovely. That's a funny scene as well, the, uh, the one where you're underwater, because uh, it, it's the most like Looney Tunes type uh, scene in the entire game just about, because you're, you're tied to this idol, and you have all these swords and scissors and just ridiculous items around you, and then, uh, what is it, the people come and uh, walk on the dock above you and are talking about like getting rid of a murder weapon, like, I have this sword, just throw it in the water. <laughs> you know what, actually, I'll keep it. And it's like all these funny little timing-based jokes, and... Uh, I just I, I love the amount of like taunting the player with this is a really easy puzzle. You can solve this one. Here's a solution coming right up. Oh, no, we're going to pull that one away from you at the last minute. So this is uh, this is kind of um, you're you're forewarned about how long you've got to solve this puzzle. So um, you have got 10 minutes because Guybrush says very early on when he speaks to the three pirates, uh, you know, they say, have you got any special skills, lad? And he's like, I can hold my breath 10 minutes. And you're like, <laughs> okay, throwaway line, whatever. No, you can't. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then he can literally hold his breath 10 minutes. He goes all the different colours as uh, <laughs> he's under the water <laughs> if you leave him. We, anyone who's um, anyone who heard about this, I'm sure, has done it. Um, and I think there's an achievement for it yeah, or a trophy. Ten, min- 10 minutes underwater on the Xbox 360. Yeah, uh, and, and the PSM version. Um, and yeah, eventually he expires. And I think, I think there's even an animation for him floating up from his tied, still tied yeah. to his idol. Um, so yeah, amazing that they put literally one death in the entire game. Um, I think there was also, it's also possible to, uh, maybe this is only some earlier versions, but there is a glitch where you can use one of the items that you need. Um, I think it was to throw one of the manuals that you need into the pot on the boat. Uh, and if you do that, it gets exploded with the rest of the items, but then you can't give it to the cannibals or whatever it is. So you get, you're, so you're literally stuck. But I think they probably corrected that on later versions. So you can't, you can't get rid of the item. Puzzles then. Yes. Well, let's, uh, let's go through this. This was me essentially just jotting down some of the bits that I remembered from the game, just thinking about it. And, um, if anyone's got any memories of, of, these bits or, or whatever just dive in so i mean you start at the scum bar there are the famous uh conversations you have there's man comb seep good um <laughs> who thinks your name is ridiculous there's the dog <laughs> who you can have a long conversation with uh in dog if you want um there's the ask me about loom guy 
who is uh, completely taciturn until you ask him about Loom when he suddenly becomes a salesman for <laughs> for LucasArts' other game. Um, side note about that is they considered um, making uh, they considered changing the game to the Force Unleashed for the special edition, but thankfully they didn't. Uh, Oh, what else was I going to say about the scum bar? There's the man swinging from the ceiling who goes round and round and round and round. Um, yeah. Uh, the three pirates at the table. Three pirates at the table, of course. Yeah, and the chef going in and out, the, the big fat wobbly chef. Um, and you come back here a few times throughout the game. Um, further into the town on Melee Island. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say before we move on. Um, Guybrush. Uh, I think most people know this, but I think we should uh, we should record it here for posterity so he got his name because of uh i think it's a file save name on deluxe paint is that right where they were creating the game yep. um the graphics so it was um they didn't have a they didn't have a main name um, name for the main protagonist so they were just calling him guy and when you saved it as a brush in deluxe paint to paste it onto a piece of paper he became a dot brush so he was guy dot brush became guy brush i believe that's that story um yeah uh i remember amusing my friend when i first showed him monkey island back in 1990 by the the fact that you could annoy um the the three layabout pirates <laughs> who are a, a, a funny trio of characters in themselves one who just starts laughing and gets bopped on the head one of them's got a pet rat who you can annoy by waving the mouse uh <laughs> cursor over him until eventually he runs away and they get all upset the flying fettuccine brothers um the the two in the circus tent to have this um pat- patter really i suppose this sort of non-stop high pitched uh, high speed um insulting patter uh you have to drug some dogs uh by finding some uh, special herbs in the woods and there's a no han- animals were harmed or no piranha poodles were harmed during the making of this game disclaimer things like that um i think my favorite scene during my first playthrough uh, was the fight that you don't see <laughs> behind oh, the behind wonderful. the wall? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So uh, you're going in to get. This is where you get the idol, isn't it? Um, you're actually going. You're busting mm-hmm. in the the mansion to get the idol as one of the the items that you need to show the pirates. And uh, Sheriff Fester Shinetop, who's perhaps the most. Um, you actually see him perhaps more throughout the game as as an antagonist, or certainly in the first part, uh, than LeChuck, but. He comes after you and you end up both going through a through a wall. And then at that point, the game takes control from you and you see uh, that the game is kind of putting together ridiculous uh, verb um, item combinations. That, so, I mean, this is a great example of it. It's, it's kind of like a you know that your imagination filling in the gaps only even more so now because you've all you've got is a slowly scrolling screen in front of you as the balcony pans past but behind you've got you've got um like use manual of style uh put wax lips on yak is it uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and um yeah <laughs> then there's a gopher horde turns up and you have to find some well you don't use gopher repellent with gopher horde and um yeah that's just amazing and and in my mind's eye, even at age 18, I wasn't a kid. I believed every, as far as I was concerned, that was all happening. <laughs> it wasn't just a, a throwaway joke. It was like, yep, that's all happened behind there because this is Monkey Island. Anything's allowed to happen. It was so consistent. And it added the wax lips to your inventory. And that's you, know, right, you got yeah. to see all the uh, sentences play out just like it was, uh, you know, it was even cycling through the verbs. And yeah. That's right. 
clever. Yeah, the wax lips actually you use them in the next section, don't you? Because they're still with you when you when you're on the um, when you're on the sea monkey, the ship. <laughs> Yes, Stan's shipyard. We've mentioned Stan, um, who is uh, an ingratiating uh, salesman who says exactly what he thinks you want to hear, but exactly what he needs to say to sell you his uh, his most rubbish ship um, once you've got the pieces of eight together. There's a whole uh, quite lengthy section, which is all about getting the crew together. You need to sail to Monkey Island Um and do you know, I've actually, there's uh, Meat Hook, as of course, the, the guy with the, the loner with the talking tattoos. Um, he's terrified of his pet parrot who bit his hands yeah. off. <laughs> the beast. The, the beast. The dent fear, uh, fear. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's this whole massive build up, isn't there, to seeing this creature that took, <laughs> that took him, took his hands, and then it opens up and it's this just little parakeet or whatever. It's the way you open the door, and he and he, t- he taunts you, doesn't he? He goes, "If you're brave enough to open that door, and then eventually you just open it because it's a door, and it just shows you Guybrush's face, and his eyes oh, light right, up. Yeah. His eyes light up as you see it, and then it obviously it goes back to his normal view, and you just see it's just a color, a, a green parrot. Yeah. It's like layers of doors, kind of like the mystery science theater crawl to the theater, yeah. uh, and they kind of oh, repeat yeah, that joke yeah. later on with the. Uh, when you break out the of cannibals. the cannibals' house, and they they keep on yeah. getting more and more complex locking <laughs> yeah. mechanisms on their uh, door to keep you inside. That's right. You keep digging your way out of the cannibal hut, but they keep bolting the door, ever <laughs> putting more ridiculous <laughs> contraptions on the door. Marvelous. Um, I've forgotten the name of the the bad breath guy, the prisoner who you take with you. What's his name? He has a, like a Spanish uh, name, right? Oh. I can't believe we've all forgotten. He's I one of the third, a third of the crew. He gave uh, you a Otis. carrot cake or something. Otis, Otis there you go. There's, or, there's Otis, Swordmaster, and Meathook. Yeah, that's right. Otis. I'd forgotten Otis's name. There. He doesn't perhaps have the most sort of um, uh, drawn out character of any of them. I wouldn't have said. Um, Meathook's got this sort of tra- tragicomic backstory, and yeah. you have to get to his his island by using the rubber chicken with the pulley in the middle that you find in the. Uh, uh, in the the uh, the voodoo priestess's uh, shop, um, and then of course, uh, perhaps perhaps one of the most famous segments of any game really is is the path to finding Carla, the Swordmaster, the legendary Swordmaster of Melee Island. You need to learn how to fight with a sword, with a, a cutlass type thing, to be a pirate, of course. So first, you have to uh, go to Captain Smirk's gym, who's this sort of uh, drill instructs instructor type <laughs> taskmaster who teaches you how to sword fight with the machine uh which is a comical looking contraption that sort of waves a sword about with you and this is where you learn that actually sword fighting is not only about your skill uh at thrusting and parrying but also about your wit and the speed of your uh and accuracy of your retorts and your responses and so follows what can be a fairly lengthy sequence of wandering around the aforementioned island map trying to bump into as many shady looking characters and whatever else they call them at night and essentially piecing together a, a joke book uh yeah who'd like to expand on insult sword fighting I, I guess the idea is that you're trying to kind of uh catch them off guard and, and insult them to such a degree that they they lose their footing or and you're able to win the sword fight that way but you yeah um, you insult them basically yeah. right you challenge these various sword fighters and they will insult you and if you've not heard that insult before, you're not going to have a retort for it. And so Guybrush always says this really weak-willed, like, yeah. you're rubber and I'm glue, or, <laughs> oh, yeah? 
And um, <laughs> I also love you can give the the wrong retort to a joke, and he'll just uh, in the voiced version he'll just say it really like unconfidently. Like, yeah, yeah. How appropriate! You fight like a cow. <laughs> just not <laughs> believing in himself, yeah. but um, you, you can once you hear the the insult for the first time, then you can use it on somebody else, and it either you know is something that they're unfamiliar with, and you can win that fight, or um, or they will give you the uh, the proper retort, and then once you hear that response, then you can counter that joke effectively, so to speak. Uh, did anyone else? Because I always found this sequence a little bit overlong. Yeah, um, and, and it's too long. It's too long. But people seem to remember it incredibly fondly. But is that just because they remember it because they spent like a disproportionate <laughs> amount of time doing it compared I to do, the rest I, of the game? I remember it more fondly than I remember the randomly generated forest. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's quite long winded. But at the same time, I do like it because it harks back to the Errol Flynn era of movies. Yeah. Where it was a case of, you know, sword fight, sword fight, sword fight, insult. Quip. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that always made me smile because obviously as a, as a kid, I really appreciated that. Um, and it would just make me laugh these ridiculous uh, the comments that you'd make. But replaying it um, in the remake, I realised that yeah, that that section takes it can do because you can way keep, too long. It depends on what the what the what the uh, opponent the, the says to you. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't get the last joke. It took ages. You walking don't around, necessarily yeah. need them all. Um, that's one thing worth remembering. And I think the, the the whole puzzle stroke gag pays off because. When you fight Carla, she of course gives you different feed lines, and you have mm-hmm. to work out what the what the response is compared to the previous uh, feed lines you've been given. So I, I think that's a pretty clever puzzle, and I think the writing is superb. But yeah, overall that 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 section can be a bit long and repetitive. And um, yeah, I think I've definitely got away with not having. You, theoretically, because you only have to beat Carla, knock her back three or four times. You could only get three or four lines, but the chance, obviously, the chances of getting just the right ones mm. are minimal. I remember having read this interview with with Ron Gilbert. He actually said uh, because he re- he replayed it for the two thousand and nine remaster, yeah. uh, and he commented on it. And he said, um, "Whilst insult sword fighting is one of the first things people think of when they hear Monkey Island, I thought it seemed a little tedious mm. but fun." Okay, uh, tedious. As I played through it <laughs> again, along with yeah, that. It, <laughs> yeah, it's it, a good it's, description. It's absolutely spot on. And if, if he thinks that's the case, yeah. then yeah, it's the case. Uh, as we mentioned, George Lucas turns up uh, as a troll. Although I must admit, when I first played it, I didn't really recognise him because of the low res no. graphics <laughs> and uh, and whatever. I think he was more recognisable if he had a PC running at like I don't know. 600 by something or whatever um there's the dirty old shopkeeper this came back to me later even though again this is a this this is a sequence that can run on for a bit if you if you get it wrong you have to keep nicking stuff uh no you don't have to keep nicking stuff you have to keep sending the shopkeeper off to to take a message to the sword master to fight to work out how to get there um so i suppose this actually comes before for the last bit it doesn't matter yeah that's, uh, that, that comes quite early on and that, that's another section where it's a case of constantly finding something to click on in the store and i remember it being quite frustrating mm, that, that whole mm. section um but you end up following the shopkeeper who will make any take any excuse to go and see carla who who he thinks is hot uh, in the forest and it's a case of uh, wandering through the forest with that excellent sneaky music um hmm. and you'll always see him just leaving off the screen which uh, which means that you uh, you don't get lost if you if you follow it all correctly similarly the the other bit in the forest is the um the yellow flowers isn't it um but again you have 
Uh, that's the bit where you can get lost, but there's also a treasure bit where you're... Is that the one where you follow the dance steps? Or is that in the sequel? Maybe that's the first bit where I'm remembering the sequel, but I remember uh, no, Do the dance, Monkey. Dance steps in this one as well. Yeah, doing the monkey, and that's how you know whether to go in the screen, out the screen, left the screen, or right the screen. I mean, mazes in adventure games were absolutely standard at this point. Mm. Um, but back in the 8-bit era, it was pretty much always about uh, just keep trying or draw yourself a map or whatever, whereas this was, again, the start of, um, quotes, modern game design a quarter of a century ago, where it actually gave you a chance to learn it or work it out rather than pure mapping or, or memorization. You bought a treasure map from some shady looking dealer on the island and uh, Guybrush right. was very put off to learn that it was just a, a dance routine, but it actually right. guided you to the treasure. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So you had to, uh, you had to take, it, it was a, you, um, you dig for hours and hours and it's a t-shirt, but you just need to show the t-shirt to the pirates. Um, but in the end, I think, is, is it right that you don't end up showing the things that you've got to the pirates because, or by the time, two of them you do, but by the time you get in the third one, um, they've all, the scum, the scum bars cleared out, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Fear, fear of the chuck. Um, now, but I also remember there being a puzzle where you're again. This is a sort of timing-based puzzle where you actually have to navigate the game quickly um, because you have to store some grog in a rotting pewter <laughs> tankard, yes. um, which means clicking. And I remember finding that quite frustrating the first few times. But ultimately, once you know what you're doing, yeah. you transfer the grog. You pick up multiple mugs from the bar and transfer the grog from mug to mug as you're walking um, and make sure you've done it before you're carrying a quotes pewter wad which is obviously just it, it, it's not the most obvious puzzle either no. and it's interesting that you mention it because this was something that, that Ron Gilbert actually did mention okay. uh, specifically um, and, and he said I'm going to admit I was completely stumped by the grog puzzle <laughs> he said I finally went and looked it up on the internet that's a damn good puzzle yeah. I found several puzzles that would have me pause because I'd remember some previous unimplemented version of them and it would throw me completely <laughs> off track yeah. my brain's filled with a lot of old adventure game puzzles most of which never made it into a game yeah that makes uh, sense uh, good stuff our, our, that, that one completely threw me and even going back to it years later in the remaster again um, it it's not the most obvious, but it is a good puzzle. So part two starts next. Um, as uh, is it Elaine, Elaine kidnapped at that point, probably at the end of part one by the Chuck. Um, part two uh, is the journey. Well, part one's yeah. Part one's the three trials, yes, isn't it? Yeah. Which can 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 anyone remember what the three trials are? Uh, well, it's the the sword fighting, the treasure, and the and the other one. Yeah, sword player thievery and treasure. Hunter-y. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, so part two, you're actually on the sea monkey ship with your crew who are now pretty much uh, down tools, uh, refusing to work. They're all sunning themselves on the deck. Um, and I just remember getting really stuck here. And, and I felt really frustrated because I thoroughly enjoyed, despite some being, you know, moments of being stuck and frustrations in the first yeah. part. But I, I think this is where I actually kind of put the game down for, a you know, a few days at least or a week loading it up occasionally and going what am i supposed to do here and yeah it it has a less linear line of progression yeah i think that's um, probably it yeah. yeah and it's kind of off-putting i can't remember what exactly it was it was probably like i think it was maybe like there was something in a cupboard that i hadn't got like the mm. breakfast cereal or something and that actually the solution to this whole section is pretty much combine everything and yeah. you create an explosion and when you wake but up not the manual uh, but no, no, indeed. Um, and you wake up and you're at Monkey Island. But 
yeah, I got I got inordinately stuck in this very very brief section of the game. It's kind of takes all the least interesting parts of Monkey Island and removes all the more interesting parts by not giving you all of that interesting of an area to explore, and you feel a little confined on the ship. That's and true. You're just there to combine things, and yeah, could do it. It's one of the areas where the humor disappears from the game predominantly as well. I mean, you still get the old visual gags and whatnot, but not as many. And because you're in such a confined area until you solve this puzzle, um, yeah, it, it can be quite. You know, if you're stuck on the island, there's still a lot of jokes there that make you laugh and move and on. Scenery, and, and yeah. The, yeah, and that sort of disappears at this section. Yeah, I remember an enjoyable uh, or frustrating but enjoyable exchange with the crew when you're first there, and you can get quite a lot of there's yeah. quite a lot of script there, quite a lot of lines and mileage, and but ultimately it was that thing where you just keep going back to them yeah. in the hope that something you've done has prompted another line of dialogue. And <laughs> as you said, it is essentially one puzzle. Yeah, it, it's put everything in, cause the explosion, but you, you're not aware of this at the time. So mm. it, it, as you say, it's Put, do one thing and oh is that it no mm-hmm. oh, move on yeah it's very frustrating throw everything in the pot eventually you have to blast yourself over to the island uh, from the cannon as i recall yes mm. which which comes from the fettuccine brothers yes. thing where you where you finally go in the cannon and that's one of my very favorite if not my most favorite visual gag in the whole game where you get fired out the cannon and all of the speech dialogue is upside down oh yeah <laughs> um which is is uh, it seems such a simple thing, but at the time, it's a very clever visual gag mm. in, in in that game, and I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, I still have just strong memories of, uh, like, when you're talking to the um, the three pirates in the bar and they keep just going, grog, 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 and they're, they're yeah. all speaking at the same time. And the, so, obviously, the speech is coming up now in the voiced version. Of course, they're just doing it, but there was something, again, something endearing about the the three different colours of text just flashing up on the screen. But that may just be nostalgia talking. No, because I liked it at the time, so it's not just nostalgia. It's not nostalgia, it's fact. <laughs> it's just it's something brilliant. I enjoyed. Um, <laughs> so we end up on the fabled Monkey Island, and this was another thing coming back a bit to the atmosphere of the game. So as much as I enjoyed Melee Island and that, you know, that blue night and the, and the voodoo shop and all that stuff the atmosphere of monkey island was just as strong i think for me yeah like absolutely really beautiful beautifully realized you could feel the warmth coming off the sand and you know even though the sound effects would have been very simple i think there were some kind of rudimentary ambient sounds and stuff but just being on the island felt so different it felt you know it felt warm and lush and and intriguing and it felt like a genuine uninhabited uninhabited island um, yeah. And obviously the, the cannibals and whatnot are on, um, but it's not yeah. like it's not like humanity is there. No. And then obviously you come across the giant monkey head statue, and yeah, it all feels um, like it, it all feels like it belongs in the Monkey Island world, but it feels unique from the from Melee Island, mm. um, and, that, and that's really cool. But as you said, the atmosphere is, is incredibly strong because uh, you feel far more isolated because there's. Yeah, there's obviously a lot less on that island. Yeah, because Melee Island is, for the time again, somewhat yeah. it was kind of bustling. There's a lot of characters there in a small space compared to a lot of games of the era, um, and even compared to some games now. There's a lot of there's a lot of different, very different people to see. Whereas here on the island, you've got the stranded Herman Toothrot, who's a, I think is a very funny character, and the cannibals who are funny. Um, but actually, you, you, although you want to bump into the cannibals because they're so funny. Um, 
it's they're actually a little bit scary because they are cannibals and you know that they can keep trapping you they're ultimately really ineffectual cannibals so. <laughs> brian no, I was going to say that I actually didn't. I didn't find this part to be as strong. And yeah, I mean, you have to bear in mind that it's been a while since I played it, and I, sure. I hadn't had a chance to really sort of dig back into it. Um, but but for me, when I think of Monkey Island, I do. It is Melee Island that that stands out uh, for me. And then I think to to an extent, once you in danger of skipping ahead, I do remember going under Monkey Island. Yeah. Uh, and I also remember getting frustrated at that part. Mm. So, certainly on my second playthrough, because it repeats the uh, the forest maze sort of a mechanic, yeah, doesn't but it? But if you've got the item you need, it's not a maze, is it? It's no, just to follow. But yeah. I didn't. I think if, uh, you can go down there without the item. Probably. Right? Yeah, because I remember getting quite lost under yeah. there for a certain amount yeah, of time. And I sus- yeah, I suspect that was actually you know the intention of the designers back then to make sure you do get lost at least one, at least once or twice to to kind of extend the the thing and and also get the um get the satisfaction of having solved the puzzle. Yeah. But I do know what you mean, Brian, like as much as I was saying how much I loved being on the island, I I do agree that when I think of Monkey Island, I think of Melee Island and the nighttime and and all the the things that happen there. But I think over time and having played through it, you know, multiple times, I've become increasingly fond of that second part. And and like I really love the contrast of, you know, from from the the moody night to the to the bright sunny day and all mm. that sort of thing. Um, puzzles wise, I don't know. I, I yeah, I I think I just remember the earlier ones more because I probably played the first part of the game more than I played the yeah. played the second part. Ryan, I remember Herman Toothrot quite fondly. Okay. I have to say. That that character, I do, I, I do remember him and the interactions oh, yeah. with him. So that, yes. that that definitely left a lasting impression. You could ruin his life as well. Yeah. Sorry, Carl. <laughs> what were you saying? I was just going to say when it when it comes to the second half of the game, um, in terms of the puzzles, I'm a lot like you. I don't really remember them that highly. I remember the Q-tip into the monkey. Oh yes. Um, yeah. Which is quite iconic because it's quite funny. But um, I I do know that that is one of the times that they actually ran into legal troubles with the, with the game because uh, they were deemed that they weren't using the Q-tip in a correct no, fashion. No, you're not supposed to jam them in your ears. <laughs> no, that, that's exactly that's it. That's a cotton yeah. bud to our English uh, English listeners, of course. But yeah, same thing. Yeah. Um, yes, I remember that, you know, the delicious uh, load of <laughs> gunky wax that came out on the, on the ear. And frankly, um, most human beings I know love to occasionally uh, put a cotton bud in their ear, but you're really not supposed to do it. Um, yeah, and I, I do, I, I do recall something about that, Carl. You're absolutely right. Um, but it stays in. It was uncensored, as far as I know, in any version. <laughs> I think the only the only censorship I remember was a joke um, about uh, what's his thing? Um, what's his name? The Atlas guy who was in the shop and. Guybrush references him as an emaciated um, thingy Atlas because he's emaciated he, he, Charles Atlas. It, yes, that's it. And he's holding the uh, essentially a globe over his head, but it's a skeleton. Um, mm. And and they got in trouble over that, mm. and they actually censored it out of the later versions. Huh. But for that one line, it seems quite relatively innocent to me. Yeah. But yeah, that that was something they did get in trouble over. Interesting. I guess if we're talking about changes that they had to make for uh, for legal reasons. Um, kind of comes into play with the special edition that they changed any references to Sam and Max to uh, Day of the Tentacle creatures. And so there, um, I think there's one 
uh, one Max in um, in Monkey Island one and in Monkey Island two, and mm. they were both changed to tentacles for the special edition. Although if you flip on the old graphics, then the Max is there just like That's he used right. to be. So yeah, so I guess was that a licensing thing? Yeah, because by that point, Telltale had uh, Sam and Max in their stable. So yeah, they'd actually bought them. Telltale. Also had. Monkey Island and yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> Don't know yeah. how that works. <laughs> that's legals for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I can't remember. How do you get that? We were meant, we already called it the item that you need to navigate the, the hot underground lava maze in Monkey Island once you're in the monkey head is the navigator's head who in himself is a, you know, he's a dead mummified navigator um, with a necklace of eyeballs that you have to yeah. wear to be invisible. You ghosts. beg for it. You beg for it. Okay. I couldn't quite remember that. It's it's one of those situations where I don't is it the cannibals that have it, but you have to like so ask I would for it, so. and they say no, and you say please, and you they say oh, no, and sugar you go on top, the, and all yeah, that. yeah, that whole sequence that comes and back. Eventually, go okay, you can have it. Game. That's right, of course. How could I forget? Beautiful, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, you actually get to sneak aboard uh, sneak aboard Lechuk's ghostly vessel again, which I just um, loved. Yeah, mm. loved and, that. Like I'd. We're not a film review podcast, and uh, and there's far too much of it. I'm sure Digital Drift have, have covered this, or, or they will do. But the Pirates of the Caribbean films, um, I have not seen beyond the first one. I understand they get increasingly uh, terrible, um, <sighs> some people tell me. But I did see the first one, and I did quite enjoy it. And I think that was a lot to do with the fact that it was just reminding me of of Monkey Island. And the thing I re- the, yeah. the bit I really remember is when the ghost pirate army kind of reveal themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the first film, and I was just thinking, it's Monkey Island. <laughs> and of course, it, they're both inspired by the same thing, as discussed earlier. But um, there's something just really cool about an army of ghost pirates, isn't there? <laughs> I think I, mean, I remember reading it, and this could just be an urban legend, but wasn't the uh, original Pirates of the Caribbean movie pitched as a Monkey Island movie and then retooled to be under the Pirates of the Caribbean um, I don't know. name anyways? But I think it was originally supposed to be a Monkey Island film that they had to kind of rewrite at the last minute. Ah. I mean, they really aren't a million miles different, um, other than Monkey Island's obviously superior. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it does the you know you you you've got the one lead um, in in Guybrush Three Wood, uh, which you know equates Johnny Depp's character and, and whatnot. No, so I'd say it's it, probably, it, it, probably like Orlando Bloom, Bloom, but maybe yeah. with a touch of Johnny well, Depp. I, I wouldn't have gone with Johnny Depp in anything because I'm not a fan. But um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just on about in terms of that role. You know, you've got Kira Knightley would be Elaine, yep, and yep. so you, they're not overly different. You can see why the uh, the original Disneyland uh, stuff did influence oh, yeah. the, the design choices in this game. The um, there's a shot actually in the first Pirates of the Caribbean, which is uh, out, you know, from off the island, looking at the the sort of the scum bar area. And it just looks like the island map. It, it just really does. It's like got the same sort of, you know, the 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 warm, enticing glow of of the slightly salty and dodgy town, admittedly. But the, it's a place you want to, you know, you kind of want to hang out, um, like the Star Wars cantina or something. The second film has the voodoo woman who lives in the swamp, and so I, oh, okay. I think that elements of Monkey Island do kind of persist throughout that entire series of films. Have you been to see the the original ride, which it's still there, isn't it? Oh, it's, yeah. You know. Goodness, no. I, I grew up, or the first five years of my life were in Anaheim, and I still have 
Uh, most of my extended family is down there. And so I go back to Disneyland, like maybe uh, I used to go at least once a year and now I'm maybe once every couple of years, but uh, I love Disneyland um, and Pirates of the Caribbean ride. I've been on, you know, hundreds of times by now. Wow. I'm quite jealous. <laughs> when you first played Monk, so when you first played Secret Monkey Island, mm-hmm. you'd already been on that multiple times. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, were you immediately like, you just, did you immediately make the association, make the connection? You know, um, as ubiquitous as pirate themed, um, I I guess fiction seems in, uh, in our culture, it's actually not as common when you get down to it. Uh, you know, we do have, um, you know, some classic novels and the occasional movie every once, uh, every now and then. But I think that Pirates of the Caribbean is the first like modern like interpretation of what pirates are supposed to look like kind of or and behave like and that what that whole general aesthetic is supposed to like feel like. And I, I feel like it was one of those like really fundamental every pirate thing that came after Pirates of the Caribbean was directly influenced by pirates. Kind of like people say about Star Wars, like every film that came after Star Wars was influenced by Star Wars and uh you know, you can even say with um, in Disneyland again, the Haunted Mansion became the prototype for every Haunted Mansion after that. Mm. And so when I played Monkey Island, it I, I you know, I thought about um, Pirates of the Caribbean because it's such a you know strong central touch point in my life. But I don't know if I would if I wasn't a huge Disneyland fan just because. Pirates of the Caribbean went on to influence so much else in the pirate genre that, you know, you don't necessarily think of that, that first step, like it all becomes almost like this big homogenous, um, genre that, that this one influence that, that was this, um, you know, this, this mouth of the river, uh, doesn't Mm. necessarily stand out above everything else any longer. The last thing I think pretty much that happens in part three of The Secret of Monkey Island is uh, you get back to Melee Island and crash LeChuck's wedding to Elaine. Um, But it's actually not Elaine, is it? It's monkeys dressed up in a wedding dress, (laughs) as I recall. Um, And that leaves you with the the final puzzle, uh, which is kind of an action puzzle that... uh, I was just going to say that, that that last bit where you crash the wedding um, is is a great reference to the the movie The Graduate, which is fantastic <laughs> um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, where he just screams Elaine. That's right. That's which, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, which obviously I, I didn't make the no, connection. No, I didn't actually. When I, when I first played yeah, it, no, I hadn't seen uh, it. I don't it was only later on. Yeah, yeah. Comes through in the special point. edition now that it's voiced, especially. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. one of the reoccurring yeah, jokes yeah. throughout the series, just how um, how capable Elaine is, and it sets you up in this very mm-hmm. typical. Like, you know, the, your love interest, which is, um, again, introduced like comically uh, quickly, like they fall in love immediately and for almost no reason at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your your love interest is is captured and you have to go on this grand quest to rescue her and you get there and you find out like, actually she has things entirely under control and you just made things worse by interfering. So um, yeah, it, it, this happens a couple of times throughout the series, but Elaine is uh, a far more capable pirate than Guybrush can ever oh, hope absolutely. to be. And uh, yeah. he just kind of gets in the way. Of course, you've brought back a scene that we didn't mention earlier, which is uh, another laugh out loud one where they're, they're slowly inching towards each other on the jetty and calling each other ever more ridiculous uh, 
sort of um, love lovey dovey nicknames and stuff like that, which again it doesn't ring true at all. Why? What would she see in this utter dweeb? But he <laughs> he is kind of lovable, and uh, and I guess there weren't that many uh, non stinky pirate men around to choose from. So, um, but yes, Plunder Bunny um, is the one that. <laughs> One that springs it's, to mind. I, I love the way that, and then when you think it's going to happen, she goes, "Well, maybe after you've completed the trials." And then she leaves, and he goes, "Well, guess I'd better get those trials done then." <laughs> and then the, that's it. It's sort of the end of the scene. It's just one of those strange little uh, quips that he makes. Like suddenly, uh, I'm highly motivated it. to get these trials finished with yeah, as exactly. fast as I can. <laughs> Nothing better to motivate a guy, sort of. Joke. <laughs> so. Um, one we've uh, we've established by this late, latest uh, late stage that uh, the way to um, to defeat a ghost pirate is with a sort of uh, is it, I can't remember what they actually call it, but it's they sort of sh- the, the voodoo fermented priestess. root or something like that. Uh, yeah, fermented yeah. root, carbonated fermented root. Yeah, and it's actually the joke is that you put all this terrible rubbish in it and it makes root beer, <laughs> um, which is something that we do occasionally uh, see over in the UK. But it's uh, I think it's more not of, very common. Is no, it? they they used to sell it in an American style burger bar around here, but nobody really drank it, so so they just went back <laughs> to coke, coke and orange. I just bought four bottles of it tonight. Ah. So. Yeah, you can get it now. It's but it's Australian root beer, not American. Oh, okay. Uh, Bundaberg, yeah, Bundaberg, yeah, it's ridiculously expensive. It's more more expensive than buying four cans yeah, of beer. It's, it's, it's like four pounds, it's four pound twenty five at the moment. Yeah. Wow. yeah, does it kill ghost pirates? Um, I don't know. It it has medicinal qualities. I'm I've sure. never seen like it tastes, have it you seen like any ghost pirates, pirates tonight? So it must be doing <laughs> something right. Yes, it's yeah. like the uh, the the um, the elephant repellent custard, isn't it? <laughs> you haven't seen any since you've been drinking it. Uh, so you make this up and um, no you don't you get it out of I'm thinking of the I'm getting confused with the second game where you make up yeah. the voodoo doll uh, in this game you get it out of the machine the um, it's a spritzer yeah uh, and uh, so this sequence can go on and on as far as I know you can't you can't ever die but if you're not quick enough with your uh, use what, root beer spritzer with Ghost Pirate LeChuck or whatever, uh, he will continue to uppercut you with a big, uh, a big Popeye-style wheel-spinning arm punch where you fly up actually out of the map <laughs> and down into another location of the map. And this goes on until eventually uh, you destroy him. And the game ends with the fireworks and uh, some of Guybrush's random thoughts uh, on the... Uh, on the events that have taken place, uh, and I believe there's the line: "Is there? What's this? Was it? What has this experience taught you? Don't pay more than twenty bucks for a computer game." Uh, yeah. Still good advice. Well, you'd say that, but I'd, I'd, I remember thinking, "But I paid twenty four ninety nine for this, and it was worth every penny." Um, and then you can, of course, uh, I say, of course, um, you can have slightly different uh, scenes, little epilogue, postscript. Or post-credit scenes in the, depending on um, what you did with the cannon on Monkey Island. I think that's right, isn't it? So if you've aimed the cannon yeah. at the at the sea monkey, <laughs> you can strand your crew. And if you've aimed the cannon at, is it? There's a little a little boat as well that you can also sink, and that's the one that yeah, Herman, you, can sink, you can sink the boat. Yeah, yeah, and Herman was going to get away, and so you can you can yeah you can strand everybody on on uh, Monkey Island and. That uh, again, that nets you an achievement or trophy if you're playing the special edition version. Uh, feelings about that last part, folks? Uh, 
remembering back at the time and or, or your more recent playthroughs, Brian? I, I remember getting um, a little bit confused about what to do, and yeah. so there was elements of having to keep you know working your way back through the screens to get back, try something different, and then I know you know. I should have just looked it up, really, but I, I, I didn't want to. I used the hint system, maybe, but no. I mean, but you know, I knew I was at the end then, so I was. My patience was, uh, you know, less strained than it would have been, say, when we was, you know, trying to navigate the mazes. But, mm. but no, it was. I mean, I like, I like, the, I like the ending. I like root beer. So <laughs> makes it makes it. Carl. Yeah, it, it's you know you're forced to kill them with a root beer, and then once you once you've done that, you know it sort of works. Uh, but. I don't think not any of it's overly uh, clear as to what to do, which is quite ironic because um, going back to my friend Ron Gilbert here in his in his interviews mm. and whatnot, he said he said by design the whole ending of the uh, the game is a gimme. He said the player has worked hard to get to this point. I wanted something they could just sit back and enjoy mm. playing, mm. Um, which I never necessarily felt was the nice. case. But I, I I enjoyed it from from the wedding onwards um through to you know as you say the <laughs> sinking the ship and and stranding people on the island just for because it was made me laugh uh i, th- I thought it was yeah I'd, i had no real problems with it and that uh ridiculously soppy uh love theme sort of type affair that plays over the end credits as well well i wasn't a big fan of the picture <laughs> it's sort of yeah uh, the picture's sort of out of kilter but i mean those close-ups of the characters throughout the game always looked slightly weird compared to the sprite art didn't they i remember thinking that, i mean they were good but the, the i just the, the felt yeah like you said they, were killed, they just didn't feel like the different art style yeah but i, I think yeah. it was deliberate um but uh, yeah i rem- always remember thinking it was interesting because i think the um the screenshot on the back of the box of the dog looked completely different to the one that was in the Amiga version anyway, like a totally different style of animal. Um, but I'd, I always wondered if that was whether you had the, you know, EGA, VGA or CGA version of the game or something, or whether they changed it late in development. Ryan, thoughts about the, uh, the final part and the uh, conclusion? I've never cared for the boss fights in the Monkey Island games. You can no. uh, list them as uh, it's the kind of timing puzzles, and um, I always felt a little bit stressful. I, I like taking those games at a more relaxed pace yeah, and being I able to solve mean. the puzzles at my own my own speed. But um, I don't know, there's some funny stuff in there. But as far as just uh, yeah, the time stuff doesn't work as well as it would in the later like uh, like um, Telltale type timed puzzles Mm. which brings us on to we've already talked a fair bit about it but i think um as well as mentioning what you can buy it on if if your interest has been piqued if you've come this far and you've not played it before but you can play the secret monkey island special edition on pc i think you can get it on everything steam good old games and goodness knows wherever else and uh, and mac os x of course ios as we mentioned also ps3 and 360 um We've mentioned the segueing, we've mentioned the music, um, but I think the cast, uh, although we talked about um, Donic Armato, I think we should mention Earl Bowen, if that's how you pronounce it, pronounce it, if it's Bowen or Bowen. You will almost certainly know him from films, uh, uh, probably the term, the first term, first three Terminator films as the, um, the, the doctor, psychologist, uh, variously um, 
deciding that Sarah Connor is mental and there is no such thing as time travel. He plays uh, LeChuck and Shefter, Sheriff Festus Shinetop and puts in a fine performance, I think. Um, but also among the crew, the cast, you've got a lot of uh, the the voice actor names that you will know. And we've mentioned such as Cam Clark and uh, Rob Paulson and Wally Wingert and uh, and all these. And uh, yeah, I think it's a strong, a strong ensemble cast of experienced voice actors without without any stunt casting. Um, and it, even though I, as I say, I don't necessarily have the same affection for the third game curse as the first two. I, I quite like the way they completed the circle by bringing Dominic Armato back to to kind of complete the voicing of the first two games as well it just it, it makes things neat and if you don't like it you can you can turn it off basically it also feels good that they've got someone who when you listen to it you feel they have a genuine care for that character yeah. um it, it it's it's obviously a very important one to get right and the last thing you want is something that feels dialed in you know like everyone knows about the the ghost in destiny for example where if it doesn't work it it's so jarring to the point of not enjoying it, and and for a game that relies so heavily on its script, um, then that, that that would have been criminal if it wasn't right. And the, you know, he might not be a a Nolan North, for example, but he does such a phenomenal job because he clearly cares for that character. And uh, for me, he, he does one of the finest jobs um, you could imagine in 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 terms of voice acting. And and this is for something that's obviously a very important game for me anyway. So if if you're going in cold. Uh, without having experienced a, a, a Monkey Island game before, uh, you might be even more impressed than I am. Yeah, he's he's really uh, won me over, I think, over time, because even from first hearing Curse and then first playing the special edition, I was always like, that's not... It's quite close to how my guy, guy brush sounded in my yeah. head, but it's not exactly right. And doesn't help that the scripting is not in the same league as in the first two games. Yeah, uh, and... It's interesting because he's not, you know, he he doesn't do a ton of stuff. His first role was Guybrush, and then he's mainly played Guybrush. He's done odd things like Pilot One in the original Crisis and uh, a Navy Seal in Metal Gear Solid Two. But he's not somebody who headlines games. But Guybrush is now absolutely his, and uh, no nobody else could probably do it at this point, unless it's Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> that 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 could work. <laughs> old Guybrush. Uh, in yeah, in like an old yeah. Okay, I'm 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 on board. I receive. I'm on changed. board. The sea monkey for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Monkey Island set in the. Well, when would it be? I don't know. Anyway, um, another than the voices, we've talked about the segueing, but I suppose the thing to talk about is the the art style of the special edition, which sort of takes cues from Curse. It has the it has certain touches that you would recognise from from Cursor Monkey Island. They tried to continue those in Escape, but the engine in that just didn't really allow for... I mean, they, it's sort of there, but in my opinion, that's a very ugly-looking game, whereas Curse still still looks great. And I think they, they, they took on board some of the stylistics from this, but I know one element that a number of people think is very controversial is, is the look of Guybrush himself, to the point that uh, I just learned before we started recording that people have taken steps. Uh, yeah, the... Guybrush's haircut looks mm. terrible. I I don't mean to insult the artist, but it's, it's just not an appealing look. And they, they do change it in the second Monkey Island uh, special edition. And I think he looks uh, really wonderful in that game, actually. But he's got this really weird, like, I don't want to, I don't know. It's like a, 
like bangs that stand up like a bouffant and his face is just all real <laughs> gaunt and, and stretched out and hair sticks out oddly at the he's got a strange cut on the side yeah, just from it's, every angle it's like it's an unappealing shambolic <laughs> so that's sort of, i don't know some so but there have been a there have been a community of people who have modded the game to uh yeah. to mod in a better haircut for guybrush which God bless him. Yeah, which, which I, I wasn't great. aware of this, and, and I've now looked at screens, and I can see that actually it is way. It does look way more like a, a straight translation of the original game's mm-hmm. graphics into the special edition. So yeah, I, I definitely approve. It wasn't something that particularly bothered me. Um, I was I was always aware that things looked slightly wrong and different, and I just kind of put Guybrush's head down to the same as everything else, looking slightly wrong and different. But actually, I think it's quite pretty. Uh, I think the special edition remake and, yeah. and the segueing stuff is really impressive. Um, but stuff like, yeah, the you know the water looks nice, and um, there's a there few little th- visual touches that I really like. I like that they mm. maintained the like otherworldly weirdness of Stan's jacket. In yes. that, as he moved, <laughs> the plaid pattern wouldn't. <laughs> And absolutely, I, I, that must have been a limitation of the original graphical hardware, and that you know I you're just drawing. It's um, that it's color cell. Mm, um, yeah, when yeah. you when you're creating stuff in color cell, you can only have uh, essentially four colors to a cell. So when stuff moves, it, it becomes a bit tricky <laughs> yeah. uh, at the best of times. And when it's a, sort of a pattern like that, the, the, but, it, that doing that, I still feel gives like that they sort of, of effect. I still feel like there was an element of the of the joke about like they knew it was going to look kind of crazy, and there was yeah. something about mm. his personality <laughs> which meant that he was, you know, even though this jacket is lurid and hideous, he it's kind of immaculate as well. Like it doesn't even wrinkle when he's waving his arms about because the texture just stays completely static. And yeah, it's absolutely completely worked into the later. Even the three D Tales of Monkey Island, I believe, has the static image, which I think like. I've thought about this before. Like, I think you can pull this off in film by making a jacket out of green screen material yes. and then just lining the, uh, you know, all yeah. of the details with a uh, black or something. And that would actually be kind of a funny look. If they ever do make the actual Monkey Island film, mm. then uh, it has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the one thing I didn't like more uh, or even the same amount in the remaster because for the most part they do a wonderful job um you know as i mentioned at the start it was a labor of love but uh the lechuk ship and crew Mm -hmm. i always had a massive love for the way they used the uh light cyan uh surrounding the characters and it always made them look really ghostly Ghostly. and uh yeah Yeah. and, and and that looked really wonderful um on the amiga back in the day and on yeah. the remaster it just it lost that little bit of special because that color is used so sparingly in that game that when you see it on the crew it stands out even more and again i, th- I feel it's almost something that at least in a few shots in the first pirates of the caribbean film they kind of used the moonlight to create that effect yeah. yes whereas uh yeah in the special edition it's you know here they are the ghostly pirates but they they haven't got this sort of very uh, obvious aura and I, I guess it's like well they felt like well we don't need it now because we've got the extra detail but actually that touch i'm thinking about the green ghostly uh, army in return of the king like it had that same sort of atmosphere about yeah. it, like, you know, really overtly ghostly like. It, it in a strange way, it's almost like we had too many colours for the remaster. Um and in having all the options, yeah. 
when you save that one color out from the original version uh, and your very limited color palette, mm. it really, really sort of popped on the screen and stood out. And and for me, that was always the sort of iconic look on the back of the box where you saw the screenshot of the ghost crew. Mm. Um, I can't remember if it was on the back of the, the box for the first or the second now that I come to think of it, but it was always that that picture that is how I always remember it. And uh, yeah, I absolutely loved the, the use of that color. Because Siam obviously was quite a common color, Especially um, if you in, had uh, CGA graphics. It was one yes, of two colours. you saw it, you saw it a lot. <laughs> um, and in, in this game, I can't remember any time, maybe highlights in the water, but nothing obvious. Mm. And then it just really made the uh, Ghost Crew look so different. All right. Now we must hear from the community at canorince.com slash forum. Uh, each of these people posted in advance of our recording as we put the shout out and they wanted to share their memories and experiences of The Secret of Monkey Island. We'll start with Robotic Monkey. He says, I played the sequel to this game on the Amiga and loved every minute, but it wasn't until I owned a PC some years later that I picked this one up. Back when I was playing, the internet wasn't really a thing, so you couldn't easily look up how to get past something if you were stuck. So I ended up solving some of the puzzles by trying to use every item on every other item and furiously clicking across everything on the screen, a gaming habit that is now deeply burned into my subconscious. I replayed the game several times over the years and rebought it when it was re uh, released and revamped on the 360, although I seem to remember spending most of my time playing with the retro graphics, but the new hint system was a welcome feature. I feel that the humour has stood the test of time, although I understand that perhaps point-and-click games possibly aren't the most appealing prospect in these uh, in more modern times, especially hunting across the screen for that single pixel that you need to click on. Uh, my interjection here, I always found that uh, as much as I loved some of them, I always thought Revolutions games were much worse for pixel hunting puzzles than LucasArts. Um, there's one in particular in um, Beneath the Steel Sky, which is literally one pixel on a screen. <laughs> and yeah. Next up, we have uh, Glenn Watts, Mr. Flabio, who says... I think Monkey Island was the first of the Lucas Scum games I ever played. Earlier ones on the C64 were only available on disc and I didn't have a disc drive for mine as they were horrendously expensive and very few stores in the UK carried games on disc anyway. A friend of mine had an Amiga long before I got mine though so my first experience of playing Monkey Island was at his house after school. I remember we played through a lot of it over a weekend sleepover, staying up late into the night trying to figure out the insult sword fighting puzzle. I played through the special edition when it came out on the 360 a few years ago. It was great to have a fully voiced version with the cast from the later PC games. I met Dominic Armato once. Somewhere I have a signed copy of his showreel CD that he used to get work. It's mostly radio commercials. I was surprised how much of, a game, of the game I remembered. I think I went through the whole thing in about two hours, which is a lot less time than it took originally. The puzzles in Monkey Island are often far too random. They require sidesteps of lateral thinking that most of the time just boil down to try everything with everything else. Monkey Island also led to a lot of poorer quality clones. I was never much a fan of the Simon the Sorcerer games or the Discworld ones, although I did like Flight of the Amazon Queen. That felt the most LucasArts of the imitators. Thanks, Glenn. Stephen Jones, Count Stex, says, I remember owning this for one of, if not our first PC. I remember it was PC as it came on both five and a quarter and three and a half inch floppies. Oh, and it was, of course, the non-talky version because, yes, I'm that old. That said, mm. it's one of the games that has stuck with me most over the past three decades. It was perhaps the pinnacle of the point-and-click adventure years. I certainly played plenty of others around that time, but Monkey Island felt like something special even then. That music still brings a smile to my face every time I hear it start up. 
Thanks, Stephen. Sean S. Thomas next says, Point and click games defined my youth. I started my journey with the genre via this title sequel, but came back to play this original briefly at a friend's and properly years later with the iPhone remaster, and it was still hugely enjoyable. In fact, I think these types of games are made for mobile. People often criticise the game genre for its obtuse puzzles and dead ends, but those were some of the traits that most appealed to me as a gamer. I loved spending time in these lands, knowing the worst that could happen was a few days of scratching my head until I tried combining a plank with a lemon or receiving a sarcastic put-down from a pirate. The humour in this series is key for me. I found the comedy my friends at the time loved, such as Pratchett and Red Dwarf, a bit too contrived, but I adored the breezy tomfoolery of the Monkey Island games. I, th I think it still stands up today. It's also refreshing to have a decent female main character in a series at a time when games like Elvira and Barbarian sold gangbusters for having some flesh on the cover. I've used ScumVM to replay Monkey Island many times over and still see it as a hugely enjoyable yarn. Thanks, Sean. Next, it's... And lastly, it's Alex Dola. I love the Monkey Island games. Well, the first three. I never played the more recent Telltale series and the less said about the fourth, the better. I never played the original when it first came out, but I loved the second game after borrowing a friend's Amiga specifically to play it, but more about that on another show, perhaps. I didn't get around to playing the first game until later on, around 1997 on PC CD-ROM. My girlfriend at the time and I spent a solid week of evenings and early mornings sat at her parents' computer, making our way through the game, working everything out for ourselves when the internet wasn't really a thing most people had yet. We spent hours stumped on the puzzles before resorting to the classic try-everything-with-everything routine, as was often the case with these old adventures. I remember sitting taking notes during the insult fighting section and matching up responses, etc. It felt like a mammoth task at the time, but we loved every minute of it. I remember finding it quite amusing in places at the time, but I've never really been one for humour in games, to be honest. I liked the touch at the end where it told you to turn off the computer and go to bed, as we finally finished it bleary-eyed at around 3am. I've replayed it several times since, including the recent-ish remakes, and I've enjoyed it every time. I'll just play it through from time to time in the same way I'll read a favourite book or watch a film I love. I know the game inside out by now and could probably finish it in a time to rival any speedrunner, but it never gets any less enjoyable for me. The remake is a perfect example of how to get it right, in my opinion. Being able to switch from old to new and adding optional voice acting was the icing on the cake. Dominic Armato made for a perfect guybrush, and I'll read the lines in his voice now even when I'm playing the old version of the game. What with the ease of using ScumVM and the remakes themselves, I've probably finished this game on at least 10 different systems, including phones, PSP, Wii, etc. Anytime I got a new mobile or hacked an old console, ScumVM was the first thing I put on it and just wallow in the nostalgia of old LucasArts adventure games. They're truly timeless, and although Secret of Monkey Island is not my favourite of the bunch, that accolade goes without any doubt to Day of the Tentacle. It certainly holds a special place in my heart. Lovely post. Thanks, Alex. Completed it even more than me. I was just reminded there that uh, I, I did buy the, the, the Monkey Island Bounty Pack, I think it was, the tr the trilogy, the original trilogy on PC in about 1990. Um, that was the first time I had it on PC and it had Curse in the box as well. I expect that's now quite rare and expensive on eBay, that that uh, that trilogy. I also remember some problems with running the first two through um, DOSBox or whatever. But enough of this. We must continue with our three-word reviews, which were sent to us on our Twitter account, at Kane and Rince. Brian. Johan Malmgren says, fine leather jackets. 
Glenn Watts, random Lucas cameo. Alex79 UK, ah, Lemonhead Cannibal. Chris Eason, insult sword fighting. Stu Anderson, fight like a cow. <laughs> or fight like cows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, extra in word there. there. Fight like cow, which I quite like. <laughs> uh, Jed, I am rubber. Robotic monkey. Ahoy there, fancy pants. Luke Jones, scum covered diamond. Zach Smart says, cruel, clever, hilarious. The hex defines my childhood. Brilliant stuff. Thank you, everybody, for heeding the call to arms. Now, I'm amazed that we didn't get one that was just everything with everything. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, there were probably quite a few three like nothing about a three headed monkey either. Remarkable. Um, yeah, Carl, uh, see if you can sum up your, your feelings for The Secret of Monkey Island um, in brief. And uh, would you recommend people seek it out now? Unlike several other remasters where I haven't mentioned, uh, where I haven't recommended going back to it, this one undoubtedly is how you do a remaster. Uh, the Secret of Monkey Island is a lot like watching the classic comedy movies that you loved um, back through the 70s and 80s that you can watch now and they still feel incredibly well written and precious. You know, something like for me, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, where I can watch that and I'll always get a laugh. Um, and I'll always sort of enjoy the experience. And that's what a lot of The Secret of Monkey Island is for me. Uh, the jokes are incredibly well crafted, even better delivered. Um, and it's so confident that it doesn't feel like it has to throw them all at you in, uh, towards the start of the game and then the dry out over the rest of it. Um, it, it it's just an experience that, that keeps going. Um the re the remaster does a wonderful job. You know the art style is, aside from the look of of Guybrush himself, is completely inoffensive. Uh, the 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 music and the remastered sound are great, as are the voices. Even the control scheme and the way that you navigate around it would be beneficial for some. Personally, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I like the the nine options and the inventory there. Um, you know, clicking through it and visually seeing it, but the increase to a full HD, uh, you know, widescreen. Um, will certainly help with the navigation options in the background. Um, all told, for the price that you can get this for and the number of systems that it's available on, really, you've got to pick it up if you want to experience a point-and-click game. This is the genre that, you know, as Alex has mentioned, and, and uh, uh, sorry, as the Hex mentioned, defines uh, my childhood. It's not my favourite point-and-click game. I mean, that, for me, would be Broken Sword. But it's this is right up there, and is probably the finest of the Lucas um, ones in that genre, which is pretty incredible when you consider the games that are in there, like Day of the Tentacle, uh, Grim Fandango and whatnot. And this one holds up. It's 25 years since it was released now. And so many of the jokes feel incredibly fresh. Um, even thinking back at them, they make me laugh. And throughout the entire duration of this podcast, I've had the main theme of, of Monkey Island uh, going on in my head. Um, mm, yeah, all of us it, probably. It, it's <laughs> truly uh, a, a work of passion. Um, and if you want to understand why people still remember uh, the likes of Ron Gilbert so fondly, and, and Tim Schafer, let's, let's not forget, why they are, and, and, and Dave Grossman, Grossman, and why they are so revered, um, and why there was so much love to see what the, you know, the, the um, I forgot the studio, the, the likes of Double Fine. Um, we're coming up with and whatnot. It, 
generally stems from what they managed to do with the secret of monkey island and the love that people of my generation and and older and those that have come to it um since uh, remember you know the, the saturday mornings of playing the secret of monkey island on the amiga watching the tv and and stopping my parents from getting to watch what they wanted to watch uh are, are things that i'll you know always remember um it was a great experience in going back to the remaster and remembering so many of those great things because you know as has been said so many times it is timeless a good joke is always timeless because it feels personal and so much of this game feels that way absolutely seek it out whether you know whether you feel you've played it before and you don't want to see a remaster or you've never experienced monkey island um pick up the remaster Thanks, Carl. Strong recommendation for special edition. Brian, well, what about you? Undoubtedly a strong recommendation. I mean, it, the game is a classic. You, you, if you haven't played it, you've got to. But I guess if you're at this point in the podcast, you most likely have. Uh, I think the, sort of my only hesitance is whether, you know, will, will people take to point and click adventures like Monkey Island? nowadays if they haven't you know enjoyed something like that before what gives me hope is the popularity of the telltale games will mean that people will go back and explore these sorts of titles again and enjoy them and and yes as carl mentioned with the you know the special edition enhancements make it a bit more familiar to to people who you know might not be used to sort of matching verbs and items and things like that but it you know but the whole you know the whole lucas arts uh, point and click uh, catalog you know as the heck said as carl said it was it was my introduction to games and if you'd have said to me back then there would be a time where you know you these games wouldn't be being released on a regular basis i would have thought you were crazy you know they they were that, that they were games to me and i think you know if i think about the kind of games i like now i like story driven games i like adventure games and i like strong characters and strong writing and i think it is a credit to you know monkey island and the games of that ilk as to why i like what i like now so if you have somehow if this has passed you by then yeah of course seek it out pick it up get the special edition i mean i i've been sitting here i didn't get a chance to replay the game again before doing the podcast and i've just been sitting here remembering you know everything that was great about this game and i'm now itching to go and play uh monkey island 2 the special edition that i bought what, five, six years ago and haven't actually uh, played yet. So, yeah, I will go ahead. Do so. Excellent. This is one of those for me where it's kind of tough to separate my enormous affection. It's a game that I played, you know, first 25 years ago and have been through it multiple times since different formats. And I have an enormous amount of affection for the setting, for the characters, for the music the atmosphere the fact that it has such a potent atmosphere even though it's patently full of uh surreal humor you know non sectors absurdity and so on is testament to its sort of scripting and world building um i still probably hold as uh, more affection for this first game than any of the others in the series even though you know the second game i think uh, you know i'm sure we'll cover it at some point and uh, i'll talk about my feelings for that one but um it's good to see the point and click genre kind of is making something of a resurgence um you know even if it was only old point and click fans who you know kickstarted broken age or whatever um, then there's still people willing to spend money on those games. Um, 
even though the second part of that hasn't been greeted so rapturously as the first, which is a shame. Um, you know, but if that if that's been a recent experience of point and clicks for you, and you enjoyed part one of Broken Age, or you enjoyed the cave, um, then I would imagine there's definitely something in in Monkey Island for you. Um, the special edition makes the playing of it more accessible with the hint system um, and possibly the interface, although you may also, you may find that you favour the, the older version, I'm not sure. Um, but it is it is hard for me to actually think back to playing the game because now when I, when I go through The Secret of Monkey Island, I'm pretty much remembering what to do next and remembering the scenes and remembering the lines and just because of what it means, because of the nostalgia, because of the appreciation of the humour. I just enjoy it. It's hard to remember what it was like to actually play that without a hint system, without the internet. As I say, getting stuck a lot, it taking way too many hours. And maybe people wouldn't want to do that now, but I guess you don't have to because that hint system is in there. The internet is in there. So, yeah, I, I do recommend playing the special edition, especially as it's something you can often pick up for a relatively small amount of money. And you even get the choice of whether to play it in in its original style or with the uh, with the, the tastefully done remaster, Guybrush's haircut notwithstanding. Let's conclude Those with Ryan. Those who've been Ryan. following the written content on the Canon Runes website for a while will know that I uh, frequently like to talk about comedy in games. This is couple of uh, an intersection of a couple of areas that i'm very interested in in my own life and um and monkey island is always one that people come back to and um you know it has a great written script but i think it also does leverage its interactivity in a way that a lot of people kind of gloss over and I, i think that's what really makes it special is that it's not just a funny book that you have to solve puzzles to progress through. Like the most clever trick that the game does is basically writing four or five jokes for, you know, each interaction, each step along the way, and then listing them as dialogue options. Like that allows them to sneak so much more content in than if you had to edit it down to one for the script. And, you know, it gives you that, that look into the character's mind and it gives you, these alternate takes on how a scene can progress and you know just that's a such a clever trick and the fact that it is able to write a compelling comedy even though you know it it's uh paced at the at the pace that the player chooses or um you know sometimes scenes can can have indeterminate amount of times in between them if if uh, players get lost in you know this this combining of of what with what and it's just so such an amazing feat what it's able to accomplish comedically given what it is up against um you know so to speak and for that reason i've been just very interested in this entire series and it's such a um such a a boon to the creators of of this game that they're able to uh craft something so magnificently that can be played in such a robust comedy that no matter the player's play style or how quickly or slowly they go through it, it's still a funny and character-filled game. Um, I, I think the the remaster holds up very well. Uh, it, it's a little bit frustrating these days going back to um, having to cycle through these various verb verbiage options, and even in the remastered version, it's not handled quite as elegantly as um, people might be expecting if they were 
fans of more modern point-and-click games like Kentucky Route Zero or Broken Age, but um, it, it mm. does this trick. Uh, it, it does its job relatively nicely, and um, and the c- uh, core content of the game, its mechanical uh, lack of into intuitiveness aside, uh, still holds up tremendously well. I think that the sequel, Monkey Island 2, is a bit better of an experience. I think it's it's a bit more finely honed, and they learned a lot from this game and really applied uh, everything they had taken from it and kicked it up to 11 in the next one. But um, but yeah, Monkey Island, I would definitely recommend going back to if you have not played it or even if you have and it's been a while because it's just as good as you remember it being. Thanks, Ryan. Another classic covered by Kane and Rince. Um, and yes, I, I think it's... Uh, almost certain that we will at least cover Secret of Monkey Oh, it's not called Secret of Monkey Island, is it? It's just called Monkey Island 2 LeChuck's Revenge at some point one day. Uh, but until our next podcast, it just remains for me, uh, Leon, to thank Brian, Carl and Ryan and to tell you that next issue, 193, is Halo Reach. Spartans never die, they're just missing in action. <laughs>